Good morning, and welcome to Simply Finance. It's Tuesday, February 27th. On today's show, Jeremy Hunt's financial planning is criticized by the IFS for lacking credibility, and companies and finance groups are found to lack deforestation policies in the Forest 500 report. Plus, there are signs of more stress among China's smaller companies. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Finance. We start off with a critical evaluation from the Institute for Fiscal Studies, IFS, regarding Jeremy Hunt's financial planning, calling it dubious and lacking credibility. The think tank suggests that the chancellor should not announce tax cuts in the upcoming budget if he cannot outline how they will be funded. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about the IFS's concerns? Certainly, David. The IFS has calculated that Hunt would need to find 35 billion pounds of cuts from already strained public services if he plans to use a Whitehall spending freeze to pay for pre-election giveaways. While a fresh round of austerity in unprotected departments would boost the chancellor's war chest for tax cuts, the IFS warns that an increase from an expected 15 billion pounds of headroom to about 50 billion pounds over the next five years would come at a high cost. What does the IFS suggest as a solution to this issue? The IFS is calling for vague pledges to reduce spending to be replaced with concrete plans on where savings could be achieved, given the likely hardship and difficulty of achieving further reductions. The think tank's report stated that the economic case for tax cuts is weak and that the public finances remain in a poor position. What are some of the potential impacts of these austerity measures? If Hunt decides to freeze spending in real terms, unprotected day-to-day spending could fall by 6.7% a year, and per capita spending on unprotected public services could fall by 7.4% a year. This would hit services at a time when a rise in the population is increasing demand. The IFS has highlighted that council services that are already struggling could face further austerity, and there are also huge backlogs in the justice system. Universities are struggling after 10 years of frozen budgets, and the prison system is full. What are the potential political implications of these austerity measures? There's a lot of pressure from Tory backbenchers for Hunt to lift voters' spirits with a round of tax cuts and measures to boost growth. However, existing promises to boost the subsidy for childcare and protect spending on the NHS, international aid, schools, and defense mean the brunt of any resulting austerity would fall on several unprotected Whitehall ministries. What are the potential economic implications of these austerity measures? James Smith, an economist at the bank, ING, has said that the savings earmarked so far are already very challenging and further savings appear unrealistic. He also mentioned that the uncertainty surrounding how Hunt would balance the government's books meant the UK was paying higher interest rates on its debt than was necessary. The IFS has suggested that this year's budget deficit may be about £11 billion smaller than it was forecast to be in November but still much higher than it was forecast to be in March 2022. Thanks for joining us, Celeste. Now shifting our focus to environmental finance, a new analysis of deforestation-related commitments from 150 of the world's largest financiers has found that one in five have no public policies or pledges. 
This includes major firms like BlackRock, Vanguard, and Macquarie. The report, published by NGO Global Canopy, is raising concerns about the lack of action from these companies. Here to discuss this further is Michael, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about this report and its findings? Certainly, David. The Forest 500 report by Global Canopy analyzes how 350 companies involved in forest risk industries, plus 150 of their biggest financiers, are acting to halt deforestation and forest degradation. After 10 years of publishing this report, Global Canopy has expressed disappointment that 30 finance firms and 39 other companies have failed to publish a single deforestation commitment or policy within a decade. These companies are described as continual laggards, accused of willfully ignoring deforestation-related risks. That's quite concerning. Can you tell us more about these continual laggards? Yes. These laggards include major finance firms like BlackRock, Vanguard, Janice Henderson, State Street, Prudential Financial, AIG, Wells Fargo, and Macquarie. The report highlights that firms from North America and the Asia-Pacific region are represented in this group to a far greater degree than their European counterparts. And what about the companies involved in forest risk industries? Looking at these 350 companies, 3 in 10 of those included in the Forest 500 for 2024 do not have any deforestation-related policies or targets. This includes companies like shoe company Dakeman, North American dairy and agri-food conglomerate Lando Lakes, and Indonesian palm oil players Darmex Agro and Jopfa Liltedid. In fact, across the whole Forest 500 for 2024, one quarter of businesses have no commitments. That's quite alarming. What is being done to address this issue? Global Canopy's Executive Director Nikki Mardis has stated that only regulation can help to turn these trends around. The EU, for instance, is seen as a global leader on anti-forestation regulation. Its EUDR policy package requires large businesses to prove that they have deforestation-free global value chains, a mandate that will take effect from the end of December 2024. Companies failing to provide adequate information will not be able to trade forest risk products on the EU market. However, Global Canopy maintains that EUDR can and should go further by covering not only forests but all natural ecosystems and embedding principles relating to the human rights abuses that can stem from ecosystem conversion or degradation. And what about other countries like the US and UK? Global Canopy has criticized the US and UK for failing to follow the EU's lead. The UK's Environment Act, ratified in 2021, does include a commitment to ban the import of commodities linked to illegal deforestation. But progress to implement that ban have proven slow amid two changes in Prime Minister in 2022 and with a general election on the horizon. Green charities have been urging ministers to expand the UK's ban to cover deforestation that is technically legal in other countries. Thanks for your insights, Michael. Now shifting our focus to international finance, we're seeing economic distress becoming more apparent in China, especially among small and medium-sized enterprises. While the bankruptcy of Evergrande, China's largest private real estate group, has garnered international attention, the struggles of smaller companies are less documented. These smaller firms, which provide 80% of urban employment, are now facing additional stress due to new rules designed to reduce risk. Here to delve deeper into this issue, is our correspondent, Abby. Can you tell us more about the situation? Certainly, David. 
The smaller companies in China, although not as well known outside their local regions, are the backbone of the Chinese economy. They've been hit hard by the economic slowdown, COVID lockdowns, and regulatory crackdowns on private financing and lending to oversupplied industries. One of the key challenges they face is in the form of bankers' acceptance bills, which have evolved into a crucial channel for liquidity and credit over the past five years. Can you explain what these bankers' acceptance bills are and why they're so important to these smaller businesses? Bankers' acceptance bills are essentially a commitment by a bank to pay a specified amount on behalf of a customer. They're used in commercial transactions as a guarantee of payment and are often traded as fungible instruments. For Chinese SMEs, these bills allow them to get paid earlier, easing cash flow and providing a reliable channel of financing. As regulators have restricted access to other traditional sources of financing, these bills have become a lifeline for SMEs to secure small-scale or short-term loans. And how have the new regulations impacted this financing channel? The new regulations have significantly constricted this financing channel. They were introduced to shore up the financial stability of regional banks by reducing abuse of these instruments. However, they've had a broad and likely unintended negative economic impact. The regulations limit banks' ability to extend this financing to SMEs by restricting the maximum value of acceptance bills and reducing the payments period for new acceptance bills to six months. This puts pressure on commercial enterprises to pay within a shorter time frame amid tightening cash flow. What are the implications of these regulations on the overall health of the Chinese economy? The implications are significant. Data analysis shows that defaults on bankers' acceptance bills peaked in the second and third quarters last year. The pressures on indebted local businesses are starting to affect banks as well, with hundreds of local bank branches defaulting on bankers' acceptance bills in 2023. These companies may be small individually, but collectively, they are a barometer for the health of local and regional economies. If Beijing continues to prioritize risk aversion over, su over supporting these small companies, we can expect to see more signs of a China slowdown emerge in 2024. Thanks for that report, Abby. It's certainly a concerning outlook. But in other finance news, we have a more uplifting story. Sita Lakshmi Narayanan, a 29-year-old from a middle-class family in Kerala, India, has made history as the youngest ever vice president at Premji Invest. She has led seven investments totaling over $300 million. Here with us to discuss her journey is James, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about Sita Lakshmi's background and her rise to this position? Certainly, David. Sita Lakshmi hails from Palasana village in Palakkad district of Kerala. She moved to Mumbai for further studies and decided to pursue chartered accountancy, inspired by her elder sister. After securing an All India rank of 35 in her CA finals in 2016, she opted for investment banking for its better remuneration prospects. She joined Investec, which was hiring analysts at the time, and after a three-year stint, she worked as an investment associate at True North till early 2021. And what has been her role at Premji Invest? Since joining Premji Investments, she has worked on deals involving companies like Global Bees, First Cry, Credit Bee, Lotus Surgicals, and Mintify. Premji Invest is a private equity firm that aims to build enduring companies in the financial services, manufacturing, industrials, consumer, and enterprise tech space. 
The firm has assets under management of 10 to 12 billion lus, split between India and US operations. Can you tell us more about her work with Mintify? Absolutely. Mintify is a firm that provides supply chain payments, invoicing, and purchase financing solutions. Sita Lakshmi managed the commercial and financial due diligence on behalf of Premji for Mintify, negotiated with one of their early investors for providing them an exit, and structured the entire MSOPs for the management team. Anup Agarwal, CEO of Mintify, praised her cross-functional expertise and maturity in handling multiple stakeholders in the competitive financial world. What does Sithalakshmi see as the key areas of growth for India's economy? Sithalakshmi believes that MSME financing, cross-border supply chain financing, and wealth management will emerge as key growth areas for India's economy. She emphasizes the importance of backing the right set of investors and founders and weathering through longer financial market downturns for successful long-term investments. And what are her future plans? Sita Lakshmi has ambitious plans for the future. She aims to become a principal and then a partner over the next three to five years. And before she turns 40, she wishes to start her own private equity firm. Given her financial acumen, negotiating skills and experience in managing large deals, these goals seem well within her reach. That was Simply Finance reporter James. Thanks for sharing this inspiring story. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Finance. We'll see you back here tomorrow.